Let me begin my homily on this beautiful Mother's Day morning by saying, it's the question every good mother asks when her children go astray. She might say it out loud, but then again she might not. However, at the very least, she ponders it continually in her heart. And it causes her great anxiety. Will they ever change? That's the question. Will they ever change? In other words, will my son, will my daughter ever become a good person again? The kind of person they used to be. The kind of person I raised them to be. I'm sure that question is in the minds of some of the mothers and fathers in this church right now. Now, the tendency we have when we ask this kind of question is to jump the gun and immediately think or say, no, they'll never change. They'll never be any different. They'll never change for the better, even though I desperately want them to, even though I'm praying every single day that they will. I think that's our tendency these days because we live in a very cynical age of human history where a lot of people have the attitude that, as the old saying goes, a leopard doesn't change his or her spots. And so we tend to be suspicious of anybody who claims to have changed their life in a positive way. We think to ourselves, well, sooner or later we'll find out the truth. Sooner or later, we'll find out about the skeletons in their closet. It's just a matter of time. If a baseball player, for example, tests positive for steroids at some point in his career, we won't mention any names here, and then that same player goes on to hit 50 home runs the following season, you can bet that most fans will doubt that he did it legitimately even if he takes several drug tests during the course of the season and passes them all. He might have changed his ways. But the first inclination most people will have is to doubt it. That's our tendency toward skepticism. But it's not peculiar to our age, not peculiar to our culture. To some extent, this kind of suspicion has always been around ever since Adam and Eve sinned in the Garden of Eden at the beginning of human history. It was even present in the early church. As we heard a few moments ago in that first reading from Acts chapter 9, listen again to the opening words of this text. When Saul arrived in Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him not believing that he was a disciple. Imagine that someone told you that Osama bin Laden had all of a sudden become a big supporter and friend of the United States of America. Would you believe it? Or would you be greatly suspicious? I'd be suspicious. Well, you see, that's precisely the kind of thing that these early Christians were being asked to believe about Saul of Tarsus. 
He was a lot like Osama bin Laden for them. Remember, this was the guy who had been an accomplice in the death of Stephen, the very first martyr. This was the man who had probably arrested some of the relatives and friends of these early Christians and thrown them into jail. This was the man who, until only recently, had been, as the Bible puts it, breathing murderous threats against the church. And now you expect us to believe that he's Joe Christian? Joe Super Christian? You expect us to welcome this guy with open arms? We don't think so. Remember, he's a smart guy. He's a Pharisee, one of the greatest disciples of the great Rabbi, Rabbi Gamaliel. He's devious. He's probably lying just to get into one of our Sunday Masses so he can arrest a whole group of us at once. Why go after individuals when you can get a whole bunch at one time? That's what he's up to. In all likelihood, my brothers and sisters, that was the initial reaction these Christians in Jerusalem had when they heard that their old nemesis was back in town. But Saul had changed. We know that. And with the help of Barnabas, the apostles and the rest of the Christian community eventually came to recognize this fact. So the good news is, positive change is possible. It is always possible. Even if your children have been away from Christ, if they have severed themselves from the vine, who is Jesus, to use the image of today's gospel, they can always come back, they can always get grafted onto the vine once again. It has happened many times. Most of us know the story of St. Augustine who went from hedonist to great saint, largely due to his mother Monica and her prayers for 30-plus years. You can bet that woman had big calluses on her knees. But it worked. It happened. That's another well-known example of somebody who changed for the better in a radical way. But here's the great thing. For every famous conversion story like that of St. Paul, or that of St. Augustine, there are literally tens, hundreds, thousands, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of unknown ones, which are just as real. They'll never be written up in a book, that's true, but those conversions are every bit as genuine. Perhaps you have one of your own. Let me close now by sharing with you Three visible signs which indicate that a true conversion, a real change of life, has in all likelihood taken place. I mentioned these this morning because these signs were all present in Saul of Tarsus when he had his big change, after he met Jesus in that powerful way on the road to Damascus. Moms and dads, these are signs to look for in your child, which will indicate that your prayers are working and that your child either has changed, is changing, or is on the verge of changing for the better. Sign number one, new friends. 
It's very hard to change your life in a positive way if you continue to hang around with the people who encouraged you and supported you in your old life of sin. You need new friends. You need a new support system, a new group of people to encourage you, to support you in your new life of virtue. In 1 Corinthians 15, St. Paul wrote these words. He said, Bad company corrupts good morals. Ever wonder how St. Paul knew that? <laughs> Probably by his own experience. Needless to say, in his days as a staunch Pharisee, Saul of Tarsus would not have been best buddies with somebody like Barnabas. But after he came to Christ and was baptized and had his conversion, Barnabas became one of his closest friends, one of his greatest allies, as we heard in today's first reading. So moms and dads, if you are praying for your children to change, start by praying that they get some better friends. I've seen it happen over and over again. For better or worse, Friends often have a more powerful influence on your children than you do. I'm not saying that's a good thing, but it is reality. Virtuous friends can make an incredible difference. Which brings us to sign number two. An honest assessment of the past. This is another important indicator of positive change. When a person can sincerely acknowledge their evil pre-conversion behavior, when they're upfront about it. There are several examples of this sign in the writings of St. Paul, none of which is more powerful than this one line from 1 Timothy. Paul says of himself, I was once a blasphemer. I was once a persecutor. I was once a man filled with arrogance. Pretty clear. See, Paul didn't try to excuse or whitewash the sins of his past life, his being an accomplice in the death of Stephen and the like, his throwing innocent people into jail. He was completely honest about everything he had done. Moms and dads, if you do not encounter that same kind of brutal honesty in your son or daughter, chances are they have not really changed, even if they insist that they have. And finally, sign number three. A recognition of the need to remain vigilant lest they fall back into their old ways. A recognition of the need to remain vigilant lest they fall back into their old ways, into their old behaviors. When a person says to you, Oh, I'm different now. I've changed my life. I'll never do that stuff again. I'll never even be tempted to do that stuff again. When somebody says that to you, watch out. That's a clear sign of pride. And as the old saying goes, that's the loose translation of Proverbs 16, 18, pride precedes a fall.
People who have really changed their lives know that they're weak. They know that if they're not careful, they could fall back into their old ways very easily. So they know they have to be vigilant over their own thoughts, words, actions. They know they need to, as the old act of contrition puts it, avoid the near occasion of sin. St. Paul expressed this attitude very clearly in 1 Corinthians 9 when he wrote these words. He said, What I do is discipline my own body and master it for fear, for fear that after having preached to others, I myself should be rejected. Paul knew his weakness. He knew that if he wasn't careful, he would be Saul of Tarsus again, breathing those murderous threats against the church. He was not a prideful fool. And that's one of the biggest reasons why his change lasted for the rest of his life. The final paragraph of today's first reading says this. The church throughout all Judea, Galilee, and Samaria was at peace. It was being built up and walked in the fear of the Lord. And with the consolation of the Holy Spirit, it grew in numbers. My brothers and sisters, it grew in numbers for one very simple reason. Because an awful lot of people changed their lives for the better. So take heart, worried mothers and worried dads. If it happened all those years ago for those early Christian converts, it can happen once again today for your wayward children. <laughs>